Chapter 13 of Hard to Beat by a Self-Made Man This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 13 On the Threshold of Freedom Mr. Smithers did not lose a moment in snatching up the penknife and severing the cord about Bob's neck. Then, while he cut the boy's thumbs loose, he stamped on the floor to attract Mr. Grubb's attention. Fetch up that flask of brandy, he bellowed down to his accomplice. Mr. Grubb brought it up to the room and was directed to bathe Bob's temples and to pour some of it down his throat. As soon as the lad showed signs of reviving, Mr. Smithers withdrew. "'How do you feel now?' asked Mr. Grubb when Bob opened his eyes. "'Nothing to brag about,' replied the boy in a shaky tone. His thumbs were puffed up and inflamed, and a red ring encircled his throat. "'Take a good swig of this and you'll feel better.' "'suggested Mr. Grubb, holding the flask to his mouth again. "'That's enough,' said Bob, after he had swallowed about a teaspoonful. "'I don't care for the stuff.' "'You don't know what you're missing,' said Mr. Grubb, "'wiping the mouth of the flask with the back of his horny hand "'and then gulping down about half of the remaining contents of the bottle, "'after taking a hasty glance at the door, lest his employer be in sight. "'Bob leaned his head back on the chair top and closed his eyes.' "'You might have saved yourself all this "'if you had done what Mr. Smithers wanted you to do,' "'said Mr. Grubb with an affectionate look "'at the liquor which still remained in the flask. "'Bob, however, paid no attention to his remark. "'I ain't got no orders to release you from the chair,' "'went on the old sinner apologetically. "'But if Mr. Smithers says so, I'll come back and do it.' "'Then he shuffled out of the room. Twenty minutes later he came up again "'with a plate of vegetable soup.' which he placed before Bob, who now felt very much recovered. This was followed by a dish of meat and bread and a bowl of coffee. Bob had some difficulty in cutting the meat, as his thumbs were as sore as a couple of angry boils. His throat bothered him some in swallowing his food, but he managed to get away with the dinner, for he had a healthy appetite at all times. As Mr. Grubb had made no offer to release him from the chair, Bob thought he would attend to that matter himself. His arms being at liberty, it was a simple matter to use a sharp edge of the table knife on his bonds. He did not sever the rope entirely, but cut it so that a sharp pull would break it in several places. This having been accomplished, Bob waited for the appearance of Mr. Grubb to clear away the dishes. It was a good hour before he came up again, and then he appeared to be somewhat unsteady on his feet. "'You're looking all right.' said Mr. Grubb as he began to gather up the dishes in a jerky fashion that threatened to land him on the floor. The fishy look in his eyes explained his erratic behavior. He had been drinking something stronger than coffee at his dinner. "'Mr. Smithers will see you later,' he said as he started with uncertain steps for the door. "'Where is he?' asked Bob at a hazard. "'Downstairs?' "'Maybe so, maybe not,' returned Mr. Grubb with a silly wink. Then he sailed out of the room with his whole attention concentrated on the dishes, trying to keep them poised on his arm. He left the door partly ajar, and the boy was quick to take advantage of that fact. "'Now's a chance to make my break for liberty,' said Bob to himself, instantly on the alert. He snapped the frayed sections of the clothesline and shook himself free. Then he softly crossed the room and listened at the partly open door. The crash of a dish below in the entry showed that Mr. Grubb had not been entirely successful in carrying the few pieces of crockery unharmed to their destination. He heard the old man fling sundry choice remarks at the broken pieces and then continue on into the kitchen. Bob left his prison room and took temporary refuge in the front apartment. 
From there he heard Mr. Grubb sweeping up the debris and talking to himself. In a few moments the old rascal shuffled upstairs again, and the boy got ready to tackle him as soon as he became evident that he had discovered the prisoner was missing from the chair. Mr. Grubb, however, as soon as he reached the landing, confined himself to relocking the padlock, apparently not considering it necessary to glance inside the room. This accomplished, he went downstairs again, and Bob was left to his own devices. First thing the boy did was to take a look from the windows in front of the house, and the same expanse of moist meadowland greeted his eye. I'd give something to know where this building is located. It seems to be in the midst of a swampy spot of considerable extent. It can't be a great way from the city, if I was brought here in a carriage. It's possible I may have been transferred to some other kind of conveyance, a boat, for instance. I hardly think my abductors would dare risk the chance of putting me on board a train. At any rate, it's up to me now to get away before Mr. Smithers returns, for I have an idea he isn't in the house at the present moment. He's rather too big and strong a proposition for me to handle successfully, especially considering the condition of my hands. If I get out of this with a whole body, I'll bet I'll be a foxy after this. I've had all the experience I want with Mr. Smithers. Bob removed his shoes and crept cautiously down the staircase, which creaked a good bit under his weight. The house being perfectly silent, the noise seemed quite loud to his excited fancy. At every step he took, he almost expected to see a door open below and Mr. Grubb, at least, come out and see what was making the disturbance. Had he been able to look into the kitchen that moment, he would have been somewhat reassured, for Mr. Grubb was sprawled out on a chair and snoring like a good fellow. Bob finally reached the entry below, and seeing a door ahead of him, he tried it, only to find it locked and the key missing. Peering through the keyhole, he saw it communicated with the outside of the building. Too bad. Can't get out this way, that's clear, he muttered. Another door to his right opened to his touch, and he walked into the main entry leading to the front door. I hope I have better luck this way, he said, tiptoeing to the door. By the great horn spoon, the key is in the door he cried in delight. I should be out of this in about three shakes of a lamb's tail. He sat on the carpetless floor and pulled on his shoes. There was a door to the right and also one to the left of him. He suddenly experienced a curiosity to look into them. It's funny how trifles will turn the scale for or against one in this world. Both rooms were entirely bare, and one had a great gaping hole in the floor. Bob lost several minutes by looking into them, those minutes proved of much advantage to him. At last his hand was on the front door, and he was in the very act of turning the key in the lock when, with startling distinctness, a series of loud knocks came on the door within an inch or two of his nose. Bob started back in a state of consternation. End of chapter 13